morning, I want to tell you that, as I mentioned last week, that I thought the message two weeks ago was just for that one service, and that's kind of how God downloads it to me. And then, then it went last week into the follow-up and kind of adding another facet to it. And, and I think I even mentioned last week that as I was getting up last week, God woke me up early and gave me the message for this morning. And I was so excited. I was so tempted last week to tell the message this morning, but now we're here. So it's ended up being a three... Um, lesson, if you will, uh, three versions of this, which is kind of cool to me, of how God sees us. And the title of my message this morning is Understanding the Value. And of course, we're talking about the value of one. But I have to start off with a confession. And confession, they say, is good for the soul, but it's really bad on the ego. But I just have to tell you that I get moody and I get cranky when I'm tired and when I'm hungry. And and I'm being vulnerable with you, but, you know, I think many people are that. And, you know, there's the the, um, common phrase today, hangry, that, you know, you just like, but it's just just because you're tired and you're hungry. And and you don't see things the same way and maybe you start getting a little tunnel vision and, and you start changing your perspective on things. Well, Jesus was the same thing, and the Bible says he was tempted and tried in the same way we were, way we are, I should say. And I just want to tell you the story. We're not going to look at it in the Bible, but we've talked about it in the previous weeks, and we can go back and look at it. I encourage you to go read the entire story. I, I don't tell the entire scripture when I'm in here just for this time, the sake of time, but Jesus was traveling from point A to point B, and it made him go through Samaria. Now, most of the time, they would travel up around it just to avoid going through Samaria. How many of you have known a part of town that you don't really want to go through? And so you'll drive way out of your way just to avoid any problems of going through that. And Jesus went through that. And it said he was so tired and he was so exhausted even being in that place that he sat down at the well and told the disciples, hey, you guys need to go into town because... I'm tired and I'm hungry and I can't go on. You may recall the story that a woman came in the middle of the day to get water and that wasn't the normal time and and come to find out she's someone that everyone has rejected in town because she's known to be a woman that is getting around town and maybe has wrecked some marriages if you know what I'm saying. So she's coming to avoid everybody, and she comes at this time when no one else is going to be there, and she happens upon Jesus sitting there, tired and hungry. Jesus ends up talking to her, and even though he was exhausted in his natural body, he became energized when he started talking with this one woman whom everyone else had likely written off. Have you ever known anybody that everybody else has written off? Have you ever known somebody that everyone else is just like, oh, and they come walking towards you and like, oh, no, how can I get out of here? How can I? No, I need to go over here. Hey, you know, have you ever known anybody like that? Maybe everybody that you know would even agree with you. That is just someone, there's just no hope for them. That's kind of who this woman was. Not only was she trying to avoid everybody by coming at a time when no one else would be there, but she had made so many problems. Everybody knew her. 
And here she comes face to face with Jesus. The scriptures we've been looking at the last couple of weeks is Jesus giving the same illustration three different times. And that's just the most amazing thing to me because Jesus was such a profound communicator that he would tell a story and he would paint the story in such a way that it would be meaningful now, but when you walked away, you keep thinking about it and be like, huh, huh, hmm. And that this many years later, we're still using it for lessons to learn and sermon material. He talked about someone who was my neighbor who is my neighbor? That was the question. And he says, a man had a hundred sheep. We talked about this in great length the last two weeks. So I'm just referencing this. But if you didn't hear those messages, I encourage you to go back and you listen to them on our podcast. Get it on our app. You can go see the videos. And it's on our YouTube channel. It's on our app as well. And you can get all that. that that's not the point. But he says, the 99 are over here, but one had walked away. Because a good shepherd will leave the 99 and go after the one. He said in the same breath, he said, and it's just like a woman who lost a coin of great value. She's not happy because she has all the other coins. She is concerned about the one that is missing. And she turns the whole house upside down, lifting all the, the cushions out of the couch and lift, lifting it up and turning everything over because she's looking for that one. And then he went on to talk about the son who was lost. We don't understand in our human minds going the lengths for one person when it requires leaving the 99. Because as we would look at it, we'd say, man, you got to still take care of the 99. I mean, you lost one, but you know, they kind of made their own decisions. You know, they kind of went over here on their own. And they, you know, you got to make, make sure that no one else goes. Make sure you like do better at hurting the 99. That's the way we would normally look at it. But Jesus is like, no, the wise, the good shepherd would leave the 99 to go after the one. Maybe it's even easier for us to understand a coin because it, it retains its value and it contributes to your net worth. But if you don't have it in your hand, I mean, it's not there. So man, maybe we can understand that a little bit. What about the sun? If you turn your attention to the screen. You ever get tired of your just boring day-to-day -day life? I do. I should say I did. Then I decided to do something about it. Conventional wisdom says you live your life, you grow up, your parents die, they leave an inheritance for you. That wasn't working for me. I wanted to enjoy that inheritance now, so I decided to do something about it. So one day, I walked straight up to my dad, looked him square in the eye, and I said, Dad, I want what's coming to me right now. That's what my youngest son said to me. At that moment, all I could think of was, I'd like to give what's coming to him right now. <laughs> but he's my son, and I love him. And as much as it put an ache in my heart, I gave him the money, and I told him that he could go search for a life on his own. Not long after that, he packed his bags, and the next thing I knew, I was out of there. The friends, the food, the clothes, it was, it was great. Until my son's money ran out around the same time the country hit a recession. It was bad. Really bad. I squandered everything my dad had given me, and uh, I didn't have anywhere to live, anything to eat. 
So it was, it was hunger pains, a constant reminder of how I'd squandered my life away. I, I lived in agony day after day after day after day. I would watch and I would wait. And my heart would ache as only a heart can from a parent to a child. But hear me on this. I never once gave up on my child. I knew that he would come back one day. One day it hit me. I realized my dad's lowliest worker was living like a king compared to me. So I had an idea. See, I would go up to him and, and I would humbly just ask him for a job. I, I couldn't expect him to take me back as a son, but maybe he would give me a job, just maybe. We're going to read the story. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons, and the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you died. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Verse 13, a few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money on wild living. Some people think it was the illustration, the way it was depicted, it was like risky investments, like, man, I'm going to, this thing's going to be greater than anything, I mean, it's too good to be true, but I'm going to put my money into it, that kind of a thing. Verse 14, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. Now, if you're a Jewish um, person, a Jewish man, being around pigs is unclean. It makes you unclean. And so here he is in this unclean place with these unclean animals, and that's where he finds himself in the story. Verse 16, the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And I, when I was growing up, my grandfather, my papa, would, would raise different animals. And I remember going with him and seeing some pigs being raised. And the slop that was given to those pigs, it was just nastiness. I mean, it was rotten fermented milk and all this stuff. And they're down there eating that stuff. And I can't imagine this prodigal son, the son that has walked away, this lost son, being looking at that in this analogy and going, I'm so hungry, that looks good. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on him, and get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost. 
but now he's fine. Now remember, this is the third story that Jesus is telling without us skipping a beat. He's talking about the 99 sheep and the one that left and the, the, the rejoicing of getting the one back. The coin that was lost and, and then the, you're turning the house upside down looking for that coin and it goes right into the story that we're reading. Verse 25, meanwhile... The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, and his father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you've never given me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. Nowhere in there, the whole thing did it say he squandered his money on prostitutes. This is in his own mind of what's going on and his, his seethingness about his brother. But anyway, you now celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Can I tell you that the, the point in this story has got so many different facets to it. And we can see it's the third part of the trilogy that Jesus is talking about, about the rejoicing over one person. The, the 99 and the one that that's, that wandered away and, and the, the coin that was lost and now the son that walked away and the rejoicing when one is found. But the older brother didn't rejoice when his brother returned. We can see from the text and the story that Jesus was telling and just so cra artfully crafting this story that you can just visualize it all so well. He felt like his brother got what he deserved. There's a part of him that's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, there you go. You took half of dad's money before you even died. And, and then you went and lost it. Now you're, you're eating with pigs. You deserve that. And as I was preparing this message, I, I got this image of just like the woman at the well, that there's people that you would look at and say, you deserve what's going on in your life. Those choices that you made, man, you deserve it. Even the younger son, the one who was lost, knew he deserved it. He says, I'll go back and throw myself on the mercy of my dad and just get hired as a servant. Because even that lowest place in my father's household is better than where I'm at right now. But I want us to look at the points that Jesus said. In Luke 15, verse 7, after the, the 99 and the 1, he's, Jesus says, In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Then about the coin in Luke 15, 10, he says, In the same way, there's joy <coughs> in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents third story the lost son verse 32 we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life 
was lost, but now is found. The three different scenarios, wandered away, lost. The Bible says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Everything in the world is God's and he created everything. So even that coin that was lost was God's person, his one person that he was really interested in. He was God's all along. And, and he's not lost because he's, he's like walked away, but he's always been God's. The third story is someone's like, God, I'm going to do it my own way. Dad, I want what's coming to me and I'm just going to go over here and I'm going to do it all my own. I don't need your help anymore. See, the three different perspectives of this. But Jesus said in every one of the same illustrations that the rejoicing in heaven was over the return of one. We looked at the value of one person. Our society has gotten away from the value of one person. We look at the value of, of the masses. How many people are going to call in and complain about this? It determines whether or not we'll do something as a policy. It's not on what's the value of that one person. We don't look at how God sees it with God's eyes on, on the value of one. But I'm hoping with three messages, three weeks in a row, that we start to see a perspective that is different than ours. Jesus said that the rejoicing in heaven over the return of just one. Another confession I have. The restaurant that I eat at almost every night. When I first started this, this place and, and this, this transformation and going there, it was the night the Dallas Cowboys were playing and the place was packed. And I, I was comfortable sitting in a booth and I'm okay sitting at a table, but those high tops forget about it. I mean, there's just people like so close. There's like be right here up against your shoulders on either side and be like, oh my gosh, that is just way too close for me. And you're in my comfort zone and forget about the next layer where the bar is. I mean, oh no. I mean, just everybody's going to hell that's sitting there. I mean, that's just where I'm at. And there's only one spot open this day that I'm, I'm sitting at. It's at that high top. And it's just like, oh my gosh, my friend, that Lenore and I know really well. She was our waitress, and, and we knew her very well. She was in that section, and I needed to eat and get out to make money working. And, and I'm sitting there, it's the only place that's either sit there or don't eat. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to sit there. And you may have heard this story, but it still haunts me to this day. Because as I went there and I sat down, and I set down my phone, and I just got my new phone, whatever one it was, I set it down on the table, and the guy right next to me, I mean, he's like rubbing my shoulders, so close, picked it up and goes, oh, is this the new iPhone? Oh, I like this case. Or, and I'm like, you're touching my phone. What are you doing? That is not okay. And this girl went from the end. She came over. She said, hey, can I get you a drink? I'm like, no, I don't drink. No, I'm freaking out over this whole thing. And I'm hyperventilating bad. <clears throat> just like that, I felt the Spirit of God speak to me. Just as I've heard him as strong as any other time in my life. He says, you think you're better than all these people. And I replied back, yes, I do. And I know a lot of people at church who would agree with me, God. And he went on to tell me, he goes, I love that guy. And I love that girl as much as I love you. See, I didn't have the value of that one person because I looked at them through the eyes of my judgment. 
and said, you're a sinner. You are, you're, you're not as good as I am. And while I am an older brother, I have a younger brother. I'm the oldest child. I, I can kind of relate to that. And looking down, I'm like, man, you're wasting all this opportunity. Not talking about my brother. But I can look at these people like, what are you doing here? I mean, why are you doing this? How, why would you do? And I can have those judgments in my mind. But in that moment, God's like, you're not seeing these people like I see them. He went on to tell me, this analogy that's changed my life in the coming weeks. And I've also told this many times, but it, it bears repeating. So many people have titles that they're going to say, if you're this, you're going to hell. If you're this, you're going to hell. If you have and all these titles, and they're ascribing that is what is going to send you to hell. The Lord showed me, he goes, there's a person over here, and if they haven't accepted me, that's what's going to prevent them from going to heaven. All of these things are like titles in a cloud, and you're over here. But until they know me, these things aren't sending them to an eternity without God. Their decision not to be in relationship with me is. And he gave me this crazy analogy of this cloud of all of these titles. He says, can you penetrate through that cloud to get to that one person? Don't let any of the stuff in the cloud stick on you. But can you penetrate the, through that, all those titles, all those things that you would, labels that you would put on top of them, like the older brother said, and he wasted all his money out on prostitutes. He didn't know. He wasn't with his brother. Can you penetrate through that cloud to get to that one person and earn the right to show them a life with God? Can I suggest to you that we have to adjust the way we think about people, especially those that we don't think deserve it? I'm going to say that again. We have to adjust the way we think about people especially those who we don't think deserve it. Romans 8, verse 37 says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him. So there's going to be all of these things that come against us. We're going to have struggles in life that are just never, ever ending. And in fact, in, in a week or two, it's either next week or the week after that, we're going to hear an amazing message that I'm bringing to you. We have a guest speaker who's coming via video that's going to be an amazing message on, on the struggles that are coming against us because there's so many people that I'm talking to that are struggling with depression and, and suicidal thoughts. And, and this, I was going to try and bring this message, but it's just way too good. The way it's all presented I'm going to bring it. He's either next week or next. So invite somebody to come here and be here for it. But in all these things, overwhelmingly conquer through him. Through him. Through him. Not through myself. Through him who loves us. Verse 38. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor, thing, nor heights or, or depths, or any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. That love that we saw a few weeks ago covers a multitude of sins, a multitude of missing the mark. 
The prodigal son, the lost son, was out there and he made a whole bunch of mistakes and he lost everything. But can I tell you that God is always there with his hand out, reach to you. He goes, here's a way out. Philippians 1 says, For I am confident of this very thing, verse 6, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it, will keep working on you until the day of Christ. See, he who began the good work in you is faithful. Hear, hear me on this, and I think we have a screen that says this. Even when I can't count on myself to be faithful to what I want to do, He is faithful. Even when I have these desires and I have these goals and I have these ambitions and I fall flat on my face when I can't even count on myself, He is still at work inside of me. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see through a mirror dimly, but then face to face, and now I know in part... I don't see the whole picture right now. So when I see that prodigal son, that lost son, that person, I'm like, God, there's no hope for them. Or if it's me, there's no hope for me. I'm only seeing in part. God says, but one day you'll know fully. I love the way he wraps up the next one, verse 13. But now faith, hope, and love abide. You got to have faith. You got to have hope. You're not going to get very far in life if you don't have faith that you're God. There's going to be a, a change in the in the future, and, and I'm hoping for it. I'm holding on to this. I'm thinking about this thing. That's the next thing is going to. This is what I'm reaching for. And love. But the greatest of these is love. See, the eyes of our understanding naturally only see the mistakes and missing it. When we see somebody, the older brother syndrome, when we see, man, you missed it. You always miss it. You're not worth anything. We want to write everybody off. But the eyes of the Father see it differently. And now for the rest of the story. There on the porch, just enjoying the cool breeze. And that's when I saw him. He stood up. He he looked in my direction. and He squinted his eyes to kind of get a better look at me. Wondered if he would take me back. (coughs) And then my dad jumped off the porch. You know what I did next? I ran. I've never seen him run so fast. He, he, He was like, he was like this kid who was excited about something and then and then I realized he was excited about me my heart was pounding so fast I just had to get to him he was running at me with his arms stretched out as if to say welcome home welcome home welcome home and as I got Mm. closer to him I could could see tears in his eyes my dad was crying tears of joy and you know what my boy did next He jumped. I couldn't help it. I I jumped right into my dad's arms, and you know what he did? Well, I fell backwards. He's a big boy. (laughs) He held me. He held me like only a father could. 
I just kept saying to him over and over again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to be called your son. My son. My son is home. Get him some clean clothes. Get, get him some shoes for his feet. Let's prepare a meal. No. No. Let's prepare a feast. For my son will no longer live as an orphan. Today we will celebrate, for all my hopes have come true. I guess so. I guess it was hope. Hope that kept me going all those days. Hope that my father would show me mercy. Hope that somehow he would take me back and that I could be forgiven. Forgiven. It is all forgiven. It is forgotten. And I will never bring it up again. There is no anger. There is no shame. There is no blame. All that's left is just pure joy. For my child was lost. And now he's found. Will you bow your heads with me without anybody looking around? Which one are you this morning? Are you the older brother that looks down and has made judgments against people and, and written them off, not understanding that we only see in part? Or are maybe you the one that has been written off? Undoubtedly, in the, in the audience of people here and watching online and listening to our podcast after the fact, both are represented. If that's you who feel like you've been written off, that you've made too many mistakes and there's just no way. There's no way home. If that's you that says, maybe I can just go back and my dad would let me be a slave. You understand that he's there with his arms stretched out saying, no, there's a rope for you. All you got to do is come back. Simply say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, today is my day. I invite you into my heart again. Maybe it's for the first time. I ask you to forgive me and I thank you for paying for my sins so I don't have to. Today I come just as I am, broken, with lots of mistakes. But I surrender it all to you. And I ask you to turn it all around, as only you can. The best way I know how, I'll follow you all of my life. Today, I give you my heart. Father, I pray for everyone that prayed that for the first time. And Lord, for everyone that is coming back, that prodigal son, that lost son, that will come back and say, I, I, I don't deserve it, God. But I'm throwing myself on your mercy. And Jesus showed us three different emphatic ways that all of heaven rejoices. So Father, we have every confidence 
heaven rejoicing in every one person. The value of one. The understanding of one person. Lord, help us not to judge anyone. Not to put them in a box and to think that they're too far gone. Help us not to have the older brother syndrome. Help us to see people the way you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 